Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Andrea Ballard. And I'm Stefan Cohn. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. On today's show, we're continuing our culinary tour down in the Lone Star State with a Texas sheet cake that could feed your entire neighborhood. And we're reviewing our bizchochito from last week. Is it as fun to prepare and eat as it is to say? Finally, we'll answer the baking 911 call and learn how to deal with some common kitchen emergencies. So pour yourself some coffee and get ready for some sweet talk. Stefan, do you ever eat energy chews? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Especially um, in my past life as a like a marathon runner. Long I would have those. Runner. Yes. Yes. I had, a, I had a feeling you might have some experience with those. Well, my husband and I are training for our big summer bike trip. That's and right. I'm spending a lot of time on my bike. And I find it really helpful to have those energy chews. I like the little sugar boost that you get, yeah. but it also just helps my mouth get dry. And so it's kind of nice, nice to do that. Yeah. But they are not cheap. Um, you know, a little pack of maybe, I don't know, eight or 10 can be like $2. So I was super excited. A couple of weeks ago, a friend gave me a recipe to make your own homemade energy chews, or you can also think of them as your own homemade gummy bears. Oh, yeah. So oh. I did that for the first time and it was really fun. Um, the recipe was green tea brewed in coconut water, and then tart cherry juice, and a little bit of honey. And then what makes it set up is agar agar powder. And this is a vegetarian form of gelatin. So I just got it in bulk at my co-op. And I did go ahead and spring for these cute little molds. I got them on Amazon.com. You had to. I mean, come on. I mean, my friend that gave me the recipe, she's just going to pour hers in a sheet pan and cut them up. But um, (laughs) I got a a four pack of molds. So I had had, uh, little bears, I had shells, I had hearts, and I had stars. And so I brewed up the mixture. I poured it into one of those kind of like a ketchup bottle almost, you know, a squeeze bottle. And then I just squeezed it into the molds and it only, it said, let it set up for four hours. Mine were done in, I don't know, half an hour, an hour. And the taste was really good. The texture was odd. They're um, a little bit slimy, which is not Mm. something that you Mm. want in a food product that you have to touch with your hands to put into your mouth. But I think I'll keep working with it. I might cut back on the agar agar powder next time. So I have a few questions. This is fascinating. Yeah. Um, yeah. And another problem with store-bought um, chews that I have is it's, it's essentially just sugar, right. you know. And so yours actually sounds like it has a little caffeine from the green tea and then that natural sweetener. Did you find that it did the job, though, aside from the texture? Like, did it give you a little energy boost? I don't know that I could judge whether it gave me the energy boost. I mean, I do use it on my bike, and I do find that when I eat it, it helps me keep going, particularly on long rides. Yeah. So compared to the other product, I think in terms of performance, it's about the same. Definitely in terms of price, it's way better. Yeah. And then, like I said, it's just the texture that's a little bit off. Okay. I I also think if I was going to continue making these, I'm not a particular fan of the flavor of honey. 
And so I might find some other form of sugar, you know, whether that's just actual sugar or maybe agave or something like that, just something that's a little bit different than honey. Got it. And then the molds you used, were they silicone or were they? were. They were. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, and it just popped right out of those. I was a little worried about, oh my gosh, these are going to get stuck in there. But, you know, even if they're stuck, you just kind of press on the back and they just pop right out. So yeah. 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 It was really fun. Oh, that sounds so cute. And you were probably just given a little boost on your bike because you saw your cute little, cute little homemade gummy come out. <laughs> I know. Just made me happy. No kidding. Well, the other thing that made me happy this week, and uh, gosh, I guess both of these relate to buying something. Maybe have a shopping problem we need to discuss <laughs> later. But uh, you posted on our Facebook group your joy over your sifter. Mm, love that. And thing. you may have noticed my dear mother posted her sif- sifter, which was I think fifty nine years old. I know it. It was. I, I think I replied to her. I'm like, this is an inspiration to us all. <laughs> So it wasn't until I saw that that, you know, I kind of realized I'm kind of my mother's daughter. Mm -hmm. So I tend not to buy new things if the old one is still around, even if it's not working great. So I had a great example this week. I I switched to a new dishwashing powder and my old dishwashing powder was not concentrated. And so I had a little um, scoop that I used to put it into the dishwasher. Okay. But the new one that I got is concentrated. And so it requires a one tablespoon. And I was, I had this other scoop that I was going to use. And I was like, I got to figure out if this is close to a tablespoon or not. And my husband said, well, you know, just take a tablespoon and pour it in there. I said, I don't have a tablespoon. He goes, what? I said, yeah, I have measuring spoons, but I'm missing the tablespoon. He said, Andrea, wait, you, you (laughs) bake all the time. How do you not have a tablespoon? So it's one of those sets that has a ring. Yes. I still don't understand how it happened, but somehow the tablespoon went missing. So it was there at one point. Oh, I definitely was there. It was the four, you know, the traditional four pack. So, or maybe even the five pack, because what I do have is a half a tablespoon, which is, you know, one and a half teaspoons. So I just use that, just double up for everything. So I thought to myself, you know, this is kind of ridiculous given the amount of baking that I do. Go ahead and splurge, friend. (laughs) I did. I did. I went to the store and not only did I get a new set of measuring spoons, I was just feeling so, you know, excited about buying something new that I bought matching measuring cups. And this was another super exciting thing. So my old set of measuring cups, I had the one cup, I had the one third, and I had the one quarter. I didn't have the one half. (laughs) Which might be the one I use the most. Yes. I've had it for a week and I literally have used it every single day, if not multiple times a day. So I'm just laughing at myself this week, realizing how, you know, sometimes I think like, well, I don't need to get a new one. This works just fine. And then I I get whatever this, you know, here it is. I'm buying gummy bear molds before I'm buying a tablespoon or a half cup measure. Like I need to look at my priorities, I think. I'm really glad that you treated yourself. And I'm also glad that I always say that fractions are my most used math, and it's because of all the baking. So you really were getting some good mental arithmetic with all of your, you know, having to use two quarter cups to equal the half cup or whatever it was. So proud of you for that, but glad. Oh, and it's just those simple things, right? Like that wasn't a big outlay of cash. That was just, you know. But but a really nice thing. And it wasn't a big outlay. And I the ones that I currently have are metal, both my measuring spoons and my measuring cups. Yeah. And the ones that I bought are the heavy duty, really hard, rigid plastic. Okay. And each measuring spoon and each measuring cup is a different color. And it's kind of fun. Like I just love it, like, oh, it's the red one or you know. <laughs> so 
It just brings a little smile to my face. So I'm enjoying it. This is a really joyful update. Gummy bears and (laughs) rainbow utensils. I love it. (laughs) Well, Andrea, we last week talked about the bizchochito, which is the state cookie of New Mexico and New Jersey, and made it up this week. It was a really straightforward, kind of just a sugar cookie, but flavored with anise seed, which tastes like black licorice. Uh, How did this recipe go for you? Well, it went really well. So I was very pleased with this recipe. Um, A couple of things, I I wouldn't call them modifications, more like just a mistake, but it worked out fine. Um, So the traditional, you know, mixing of the butter and the sugar and the egg and the anise seeds and the brandy, that worked out just fine. Got those all creamed together. And um, then I just started adding the flour baking powder and salt mixture along with side-by-side. Oh, no, there was no other wet mixture with that. So just adding in the flour baking soda and or baking powder and salt mixture. But I missed the word sift. So I did not I did not sift. And I thought they turned out just fine. Did you sift your flour? I did. But in my sifter. That may have been when I took that picture. I'm not sure. But oh, yeah. <laughs> so. I just completely missed that word. It wasn't even until they were in the oven that I was kind of looking at the recipe again. And I thought, oh, darn it. So um, I couldn't tell a problem. I thought they turned out great. The dough is very, very soft. Yeah. So I think mm-hmm. you definitely need to follow the instruction to place it in the refrigerator for 15 to 20 minutes. Um, because especially if you're going to roll it out. Now, I did not do the roll it out. As I mentioned last week, I'd probably take the easier route. And sure enough, that's what I did. So I just used my small cookie scoop and made kind of bite size, um, rolled them up into balls, rolled them in the sugar and cinnamon, and then just used the bottom of a glass to flatten them out a little bit. Yeah, exactly. And I had similar, very easy recipe to put together. Just one note on that unsalted butter. Um, it's at room temperature. That's usually oh, how, yeah. how you would do that, but it doesn't specifically say. So if you're a new baker, um, room temp is much easier oh. to cream. And so you want to just keep it out for a few hours or overnight on your counter. Um, this doesn't make a ton. I kind of liked that. It, I think the yield said two dozen. I note that I was only short by two. So I also did the round balls, rolled them out in the um, sugar cinnamon mixture, and then flattened them up. The The taste of these cookies is very unique. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't tell. So just my anecdote is that I had one and I was like, oh, that's a really strong black licorice flavor and I'm not a huge fan. But what did I proceed to do but like eat the entire batch? Just, you know, I kept coming back and thinking, mm, this is really <laughs> this is yeah. really different and unique. And it is. And, you know, I think we had mentioned that this is served with hot chocolate and I never did try it that way, but I think it would be a really nice combination. Now, you mentioned last week you were going to crush your aniseed. Did you do that? I did do that. So I just, um, and I found them in the bulk spice section at my grocery store, a teaspoon of aniseed. I just put them in, they're fairly large. They're kind of kind of skinny. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I just put them in a Ziploc and just rolled over them with a rolling pin until I could tell they were breaking apart. And mm-hmm. you can also then smell that smell much more strongly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just thought that's how you release the flavor and the oils in a, in a spice. And just mm-hmm. to break it up, I thought it would be a little jarring to get like one of those stuck in your teeth or I don't know, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, And then it kind of has a nice little freckled, very faintly freckled appearance on these cookies. Um, Well, I'm I'm asking about about that because you mentioned how strong the black licorice flavor was. I did not crush my seeds. And the 
flavor was faint. Okay, so, well, maybe um, listeners, if you're if you're really wanting that flavor, do what Stefan did. If you want it to be more subtle, do what I did and throw the seeds in whole. I similar to you, I had my first one. I thought, ooh, that's interesting. I better have another. <laughs> and exactly, I had a second one, and I thought, gosh, that's just so different. And I, I love it when something's different and not something that I would reach for. I then put a platter of them out. It was a half day of school. So I put it out for three girls. And I thought to myself, I wonder if I should tell them what this is and they may not like it or it might be different. And I thought, no, nope, I'm just going to put it out. Yep. And sure enough, I went back a few minutes later and they were all gone. All right. So I think it would definitely, the fainter flavor probably with kids is a, a good idea. Yeah. And you know, some people are just nuts for the flavor of black licorice. That's true. I'm, I'm not one mm-hmm. of them, but you know, I can I can handle it. And I think I've mentioned many, many episodes ago, but my um, friend Lydia made me a sugar cookie once that was flavored with fennel. And that's, uh, oh. it was just a very different flavor too. And, and uh, that's why this was definitely unique. And yeah, super easy to make, very, very different. I would like to try it again with the hot cocoa on the side. Oh, that sounds like a great idea. Nice. So that recipe was from whatscookingamerica.com, and there's a link up on our uh, website for that as well. And if you are familiar with Bizchachito or this was just the first time you made it, we'd love to know how it went for you. Next week, we are going to bake something called the Texas Sheet Cake. So, Stefan, tell us what you know about the Texas Sheet Cake. Well, Texas sheet cake, Andrea, is a bit of a mystery and our recipe doubly so. So we had to do some sleuthing. <laughs> Who knew? It sounds so straightforward, right? Texas sheet cake. Right. Oh, no. Um, I think I mentioned last episode, I found a really great resource, which is the Library of Congress. And they have a whole, they have they have topics on just pretty much anything you can think of. But the reason that the Texas sheet cake is mentioned in the Library of Congress is that for many years, Lady Bird Johnson, former first lady, was credited with creating the Texas sheet cake. And of okay. course, LBJ um, from Texas. Uh, that turns out not to be true, but this librarian was doing kind of an investigation into uh, how she got associated with it um so this sheet cake has a ton of aliases and here we go texas sheet cake also called buttermilk brownie brownie sheet cake chocolate brownie cake chocolate sheet brownie mexican chocolate cake texas brownie cake texas cake texas sheath cake and quote plain old chocolate sheet cake and the one that's most interesting to me is the sheath s h E-A-T-H. And the reason it's called that is because this cake has a big sheath of chocolate frosting at the end. So that's one thing. That makes sense. Now, the librarian noted that the original versions of this, which came about in the 50s, most all use buttermilk and are baked in a jelly roll pan. So it's huge, like the size of Texas. Um, Usually they also include pecans, and then they all have that uh, very chocolatey frosting at the end. So... Turning to the recipe that we've picked for today, also a bit of a mystery. It's simply called Texas Sheet Cake and noted, this is the ultimate chocolate brownie. This was another find from Pinterest from a community cookbook. We have no idea which community cookbook, but we do know it was submitted by someone calling themselves the Chocoholic. So So I feel that's an authority and I am willing to take their recipe. Absolutely. 
But what we can tell, ours does not use buttermilk, it uses sour cream. It also uses walnuts in place of pecans. So, Andrea, we can date the Chocoholics book to the 70s because it takes about 20 years. This is fascinating to me. It takes about 20 years for a recipe to start getting widespread variations. And so if the original recipe came about in the 50s, and now we have variation of sour cream instead of buttermilk, walnuts instead of pecans, we can date it to about the 70s. Fascinating, huh? interesting. I know. I know. I know. So thanks. That's a wonderful resource for all kinds of U.S. history, Library of Congress. And I really wasn't expecting to find as much great food stuff there, but I did. So I'm I'm glad someone's tracking these important issues. (laughs) We should talk to her. We should invite her to be a guest on Pretty Heated. That would be helpful. That would be fantastic. Well, I actually lived in Texas. I lived in Dallas for one year after I graduated from college, and I did not hear or see of the Texas sheet cake while I was down there. Um, It was in the early 90s, and what there was a lot of was people throwing chili powder into their chocolate, and I thought Mm -hmm. that was fabulous. Yes. So that's my memory of Texas dessert. (laughs) So it wasn't until, I would say, maybe about five years ago, I was in Louisiana. I was visiting my sister-in-law, and she was getting ready to go to a neighborhood party. And she said she was in charge of the dessert and that she had made a Texas sheet cake. And I said, oh, what's that? And I will never forget the look on her face when (laughs) she looked at me. And she said, you've never heard of a Texas sheet cake? And I, you know, I just was like, uh, Uh oh, And, you know, so I guess among their crowd, it's it's not just so well-known, but it's so coveted. And like you said, it's so huge. It's not something you're going to make on a regular basis. It's only when... It's for a big event, and you've got a lot of people together. So that's why for their neighborhood gatherings, they all kind of fight over who gets to make the Texas sheet cake, because it's one of the few times you get to do it. And it's pretty straightforward, the recipe. Now, Andrea, I know you have your your mandate that you don't do a brownie in the house, but I think we can slip this under because it's <laughs> technically a sheet cake. So... I was, I was getting pretty excited when you were listing all the alternate titles there and I kept go. hearing chocolate and brownie. Yeah, um, I, know. I also think this one's going to be a nice one for me because as I mentioned last week on episode 27, you know, my cake making chops just aren't um, what they need to be, I think, for layered cakes. And I'm still feeling a little, a little bit intimidated from last week and, and the Boston cream pie and some of the issues I ran into. When I hear the word sheet cake immediately in my head, I think easy. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's just it's you know, it's not going to be some uh, really difficult thing as far as slicing layers and frosting and, you know, that sort of thing. It it should be fairly easy. At least that's what I'm hoping. So, yeah, absolutely. The only um, note I have here before we get started baking is um, so you you heat up the uh, butter, water and cocoa. You've got that to a boil and then um it's still fairly warm and it says to add the eggs. And I just say, I'm just be mm. cautious there because yeah. you know you don't want to scramble your eggs. So maybe no. take, take a little temperature test, make sure it's not boiling hot still at that point and then, and then proceed. So yeah, maybe um, temper, temper a little bit. Yeah. This is going to be a great one for a big crowd and um, I'm looking forward to it. So the mystery of the Texas sheet cake, if listeners, if you have any history um, that we didn't mention too, we'd love to know um, if you can add to this kind of mythology of the, of the Texas sheet cake. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. Um, I did want to mention that when I tried my sister-in-law's too, I ate it, and I still have a memory of how good that thing was. <laughs> oh, a memorable <laughs> dessert. Well, great. Yeah, that. Yeah. I, and how funny that she's not from, I mean, 
was she living in Texas at, with you no, at the time? No, no, was, no. no. Just, you know, Louisiana is pretty close to sure, Texas right. and they have a lot of people from that area. So maybe it's just much more common around there. Yeah. Travel down that way. All right. Well, listeners, let us know how it goes for you. We'd love to know. Ring, 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 ring. Baking 911, what's your emergency? Oh, I've just dumped a tablespoon of salt into my cake, not a teaspoon. What should I do? Well, calm down. (laughs) Take a breath. The preheated gals are here to help you. Oh, my goodness. We've all had just kitchen emergencies. Uh, Last episode, Andrea was talking about the kind of panic she felt when she saw the baking powder on the counter and couldn't remember if she had put it into the dish. Uh, You use a tablespoon of salt instead of a teaspoon, uh, or you run out of something right at the last minute when you're already kind of um, elbow deep in, into your dessert. So I um, wanted to talk about some kind of common problems and, and some emergency substitutions. Andrea, um, one common uh, error or issue that folks have is confusing or or substituting baking soda for baking powder, and they are not interchangeable. Um, you have a, a story regarding the Girl Scouts and this issue. Yeah, indeed, they are not interchangeable. So my Girl Scout cookie story actually has two parts. The first part, when I was in Girl Scouts, one of our very first field trips, they took us to a bakery, mm-hmm. and we got to go in the back where they made the cookies. And let me tell you, this just, I think, ignited my love for baking. I just thought it was so special. And my mom loves to tell this part of the story is I came home and I had this bag full of cookies. And she said, Andrea, what did you guys do on your field trip today? And I said, Mom, we learned how to make cookies. We went to a real bakery and we learned how to make cookies. She goes, oh, my gosh, tell me how you did it. And I said, well, first you take this dough. (laughs) And so (laughs) that was, of course, looking Uh back on it. A smart way to do it with a, you know, 28-year-old uh, girls yes, yes. and their grubby little hands. Just get right just, to the payoff, right? Yes. Yeah, you mm-hmm. just hand them the dough and we made the cookies. So my mom still likes to, to giggle about that. Um, but I did evolve and she said, no, I'll, I'll help you and, and you can learn how to actually make the dough. You need to do that first. And so she worked with me a few times and then um, she was really good about letting me bake on my own. And so one day I remember she came home and she saw... I had made these cookies and she said, Andrea, those are the most beautiful cookies I've ever seen. I can't believe you did that. And I was just so proud of myself. Like I was bursting with pride. Of course. And then she took a bite. (laughs) And I just saw on her face and I thought, something's wrong. So I took a bite. I had to spit it out. So I had switched the um, baking soda for the baking powder. Okay. Yeah, and yep. it was just so salty yep. and off. It, it just they were beautiful and they were horrible. Yes, and so oh. do you want to know why that? Yes, they, please. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. Here's a little science. Here's a little science. Well, um, baking soda is about four times stronger than baking powder. So if you had used the soda in place of the powder, um, you know, you would maybe see like half a teaspoon of baking soda, um, but maybe three and a half teaspoons of baking powder. So if you used three and a half teaspoons of baking soda, yes, that's why you have that just very strong, like almost metallic taste, right, if that happens. So Mm -hmm. um, soda is a base, so it needs an acid to act. Which is why you'll often see it in recipes that call for buttermilk or lemon juice. Um, Also, cream of tartar has um, some acid in it or molasses, things like that. 
Um, so the baking powder actually already contains baking soda. That's one oh. of its ingredients. So it's a mix of soda, cream of tartar, and sometimes cornstarch. Um, and so, yeah, you can't really interchange them. Um, so don't try that. <laughs> <laughs> we cannot recommend. Right, right, right. Um, what are some other problems you might encounter if you did put in too much salt? Um, a fun trip, trick when you're not baking but you're cooking, say you oversalted a soup, uh, you could add a piece of potato and the potato will draw out some of that sodium. I've done that several okay. times. Yeah, it works pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, you could also try adding in a, in a sweet, try adding more sugar or acid and honey or condensed milk will also absorb some sodium. So if it works for you to add some more moisture... And then um, what I've done before is I just started tripling the recipe. So I started <laughs> adding uh, that, what, whatever be equivalent to the tablespoon of salt, I just made a gigantic then batch of, of dough. Um, but yeah. Once again, math to the rescue. It is math to, truly math to the rescue, math in real life. I um, love that. And then some emergency substitutes that folks may be familiar with. Um, If you're out of buttermilk, you can do a cup of regular milk and add one tablespoon of lemon juice or vinegar and let that stand for about five minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, Light corn syrup, you can do a cup and a quarter of sugar dissolved in a quarter cup of water. And then dark corn syrup is um, three quarter cup of light corn syrup and a quarter cup of molasses or honey. So um, just some, some that you may may need to, you know, I, I think we've all just been in the, in the, I try to do my best and check all my ingredients mm-hmm. and then I'll be like, oh, of course I have that and I don't double check and I don't. So that's my problem. I'm good about checking things that I don't use very often, like cream of tartar or, you know, maybe, um, you know, peppermint ep- extract or something like that. But of course I don't check the white sugar, the brown sugar, the no, flour, no. the eggs. I always have those. And then I go and I have three eggs and I need four I saw listener Craig, I think it was, had a little um, modification. He had posted on our Facebook group some gluten-free, was it oatmeal chocolate chip cookies? Yes, it was. They looked beautiful. And the review looked good. And his wife said they tasted fabulous. And I think he said he had run out of white sugar and had to, or or had didn't have brown sugar and had to make some. So he used molasses. He used white sugar so. molasses, which yeah. I think is essentially what brown sugar is. I so, think so too. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. Um, so we've well, all been there, as uh, as you know. We like to remind mind our listeners of that. Yeah. Well, and I I did want to share one last thing. Uh, Stefan, I think I told you actually months ago that I knew I had an, I called it an incipient disaster brewing in my pantry. <laughs> and and this is what it was. Was I, this the rancid nuts? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, not that. This is different. Um, this is, I use those clear OXO storage containers. Yeah. And so I had poured kosher salt into one. Uh-oh, and, I can and, see where this and it might was a be small going. One, uh-huh. And then I had a large one for my white sugar. Well, that one broke. Okay. And so as a temporary measure, uh-huh. I put the white sugar into the smaller uh-huh. one. So now I had kosher salt and white sugar in the exact same size container, uh-huh. you know, with no label. So um, for months, 
<laughs> well, yeah, yeah. So for months, I just knew like one day I was going to screw this up. I was going to screw it up. And so about two weeks ago, I took that um, Gretchen Rubin has some great advice about one of the ways to boost energy is to take care of a nagging task. Mm, yeah, true. Because it, it just sort of weighs on your mind. And I was like, I am going to label those containers. So I got out my handy dandy labeler and I wrote kosher salt on one and printed it out. And then I did white sugar on the other and printed it out. And I put it on my containers and I was so proud of myself. And the next time, thank goodness I wasn't baking, but I was um, just going to throw some sugar, I think, in my coffee or my tea. Um, and I did. And then I took a sip and it oh, was no. so salty. So I put oh, the no. labels on the wrong container. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I outsmarted myself. So oh. it, it wasn't a huge disaster. It was a little mini disaster. And I got a, a good laugh out of it. That Like all the months of no labeling, I always looked. I always yeah. looked very carefully or I would stick my finger in and taste it. And once I had the labels on, I, I just turned my brain off and thought, well, this says it's it. sugar, That's so right. it must be sugar. It's like, you know, when you listen to your GPS and you know it's sending you the wrong yes. way. Yes, so, so that was a um, that was a classic blunder. I think it was season two of the Great British Bake Off, and he used oh. salt instead of sugar. Yeah, and you know, I mean, it's 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 inedible at that point. But good that you. Um, I'm so proud of your organizational because now <laughs> now you know which is which, and getting done with the nagging task always of energy boost. And it then, feels- but it was only a cup of coffee. I mean, it could have been. I you know. know, it could have been a, a Texas a sheet cake <laughs> or a Texas <laughs> sheet cake. Yes. Yeah. Oh, no. that would have been horrible. Oh, my gosh. Well, the timer's buzzed, and we've got to get to the dishes. Join us next week as we wrap up our month of regional eats with a short and sweet bonus episode in which we'll award our coveted blue ribbon to our favorite regional dessert and review our Texas sheet cake. Remember, you can find us in our featured recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, on Facebook and Pinterest, and download us on iTunes, where we'd love it if you subscribed to the show and gave us a review, both of which will help others find us. Until next time, thanks for listening and sweet dreams. Preheated is written, performed, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stefan Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.